Hi, and welcome back to Scope of Practice, a podcast that opens the window for an inside look at different practice groups and the lives of attorneys in those groups here at Ropes and Gray. I'm Yoni Levy, a partner in the Asset Management Group in Boston. And today I'm joined by Liz McInerney, an associate in our DC office who's focused on government enforcement within our litigation group, and Zane Fernandez, an associate in our Boston office who works on private capital transactions. Hi, Liz. Hi, Zane. Hello. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for joining. I'd like to open with a bit of background about yourselves personally. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice group at Ropes and Gray and how you landed in your practice group and decided that that's where you wanted to work? Yeah, I'm Liz McInerney, and I'm in our litigation and enforcement practice group. I focus primarily on government investigations, and I do a bit of civil litigation as well. And this was very natural for me as I knew that I liked to write and I like to research. And that really puts me squarely in litigation practice. And for me, I found my way into the private capital transactions group uh, for two reasons. One, during my law school process, I had been meeting a lot of people that were in that group at Ropes. um, And so naturally gravitated towards that. I got to learn more about their work on the day-to-day. And then also in law school, I took classes like secure transactions, um, bankruptcy, all these corporate focused classes and found that I was really interested at an intellectual level um, in debt finance and how debt functions in the global economy. And so I kind of followed that intuition and really wanted to see how private capital transactions work, how these entities like private equity firms use leverage to to get the most out of their investments and how the global economy works. So that's how I found my way here. Great. Thanks. I think this episode is a bit different from some of the episodes from season one in that we really tried to start with practice groups that we felt people knew very little about. And I think people feel, at least law students that I've spoken with in the past, seem to feel like they know a little bit more about what, you know, litigation work is and what private capital transactions, you know, M&A transactions are like. But could you give us a sense with a bit more accuracy, probably, of the scope of the types of projects you work on? What does a typical project look like in your practice group? Uh, why don't we start with Zane this time? Yeah, so from the first year, second year perspective, as an associate, um, I'll be helping with representing our client, a private equity firm, trying to make an investment into a company, purchase a company. Um And so from that junior perspective, you're doing a lot of due diligence, looking through the contracts of the target company, um, flagging anything for the deal team to to consider. And then on the debt finance side of things, helping draft the ancillary documents that need to get in place in order to facilitate the loan and and make that happen for the purchase. Uh, So I like that PCT, the private capital transactions group is, a mix of both the private equity side and the debt finance side. So you get to see um, how the two work together and um, you get a wide range of work rather than just being siloed into one narrow uh, focus group. Last season, we talked about a lot of the other groups at the firm, all of which sort of work hand in hand together, right? Tax and, and fundraising. And, you know, I'm in the asset management group, which focuses more on fundraising. But of course, the ultimate goal of that fundraising is the deploying of the funds into investments. And that's what um, 
what Zane's group focuses on, right, is taking that that pool of capital and then going out and, and making investments, buying companies, and uh, and you know hopefully successfully selling them. So uh, that that's great. And you know I think with no offense intended to Liz, I think we all hope to avoid uh, have, having to necessarily have our clients interact with the government enforcement end of it. But it is also part of the same uh, life cycle at a broad level. Uh, but Liz, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Sure. And I think that's right. You know, when you think about litigation, we work somewhat on the opposite end of the spectrum of corporate. I think a corporate is an incredibly creative practice and litigators are as well, but oftentimes we're very responsive, right? We are reacting to what others are doing, especially here at Ropes. And a lot of my practice these days is um, in government and internal investigations. So it really is exactly like what it sounds. So what happens is the government gets involved with the company and they say, hey, we want to learn a little bit more about a particular transaction. So it might be the buying or selling of a company. It might be specific actions taken by a board member. It could be a whole host of things. And then that company comes to ropes and says, we need we need your help. And and off we go. So my day to day and really what my practice looks like is is looking underneath the covers of the company. So reviewing what the company does on a day to day basis, looking at what was said, who did what, and then determining whether or not there's any liability there. Does the government's question or inquiry or really their investigation have any merit? And really, when the government is on the other side of the table and we're trying to understand the scope of the investigation and what they're looking for, a lot of what we're doing is just trying to set the stage for our client to put them in the best possible light. And internal investigations are slightly different right there. You know, the government is not there. So it's really just a matter of trying to um, really seek and understand what the company is hoping to learn. Sometimes that can be an internal policy violation. Sometimes it can be um, someone else coming, a whistleblower saying that, hey, there's a problem and the company needs to learn very quickly what's going on. And so we act as the boots on the ground, really as a neutral observer to, to present the information that we find. And I'll just add, you know, another part of my practice is civil litigation. So that's what happens when the investigation doesn't go as well, and we actually end up having to go to the court. So for all the law students listening, think about what you read in textbooks, and that's a lot of what I do. So everything from arguing in court, although many of our partners take care of that, um, to writing briefs, to really honing in on the issues at hand and determining, again, whether there's any merit to the claims being brought. So again, our site is a little bit more reactive, but we do work hand in hand with our corporate department and so much of the matters and cases that we get are actually from our corporate counterparts. So it's it's good for us to know what's going on in the corporate world and to be kept abreast of everything that's happening really on the other side of the aisle with corporate. Yeah. And I'll say that's a, I found that's a two-way street in that a lot of times when I'm drafting contracts, I am in contact with litigators to understand how will this indemnity provision be interpreted by a court or, you know, a, a client is pushing for an unusual position in a in a document and we want to we're going to sort of squint and try and read it this way. You know, do you think that that's going to hold any water? Uh, and so, you know, we all work hand in hand and each of the groups sort of complements the other in the same overall ecosystem. Liz, I, I think you touched a little bit on this, but maybe you could expand a little bit on what are the skill sets that you think are activated, developed, and necessitated by your group that really 
attract you to the kind of work that you do. We've talked in the past that, you know, asset management lawyers, for example, really like negotiating, really like drafting, really like, you know, but drafting contractual language, not technical language or, you know, that kind of stuff. So what is it that really draws you to litigation, government enforcement, or any of your other uh, subspecialty areas? If you're someone who likes details, who really likes to know what's going on and is happy to, to wade through a lot of it, and then, you know, the most important thing, right, issue spot, like where are the concerns, then I think government investigations is really something that that you should consider because in many ways, like our corporate counterparts, we're thinking of creative solutions for our clients to address any issues that might come up. But really, we just want to know what's happening because, again, we react. So we're coming in after the fact. We're coming in after something has already occurred, and our job is to get to the bottom of it. So I would say also, if you're a big fan of detective stories, come on over to litigation. That's where it's at. A regular Sherlock Holmes here. Great. <laughs> Zane, how about you? I would say um, for corporate practice generally, I think creativity and precision are big. Uh, now that I've been in this role, um, I'm currently seconded to a client. Uh, and in this role, I'm mostly drafting NDAs. And um, so I've gotten really comfortable with marking up a document, specifically confidentiality agreements. And uh, I've been finding that it's so important how precise you are when you're drafting a contract. So attention to detail, of course, is key, uh, but also creativity. When you start, you have your first position of this is how we would ideally like the contract to look. And then um, the other side reviews, gets back to you, and you have to get creative if like the other side doesn't really like how you worded a provision. Now you have to work together to see how can we get both of our interests to meet in the middle and um, but while also not exposing ourselves to too much risk. So I find that part fascinating. Um, and then I also think people skills, it, it's a big thing in the corporate side as well, because you're, again, going to be negotiating with people. You're going to see repeat players over and over. And so I think how you speak to people, how you treat people, and how you can ultimately reach a deal at the end of the day is really important as well. Yeah, that's great. How do you see the varying roles of associates at different seniority levels and the involvement of partners in your group and in your work and in the work that they're doing for clients versus how involved you are in things? You know, what's it like being, you know, from your perspective, different levels of seniority in your group? Uh, maybe we'll start with Zane this time. Yeah, I think uh, in a big law firm and probably in law firms generally, everybody sort of knows their role based on seniority. And I think that can be really beneficial, especially now that I'm going through this junior role and really learning what it's like to practice law on the day-to-day. -day. It's, it's a supportive environment because you have people who have been right where you were at at one point, um, and especially the mid-levels and senior associates that I've worked with. They've given me so much advice from the practical day-to-day, -day, how to respond to this type of email, how to mark up this sort of document. Um, and so it's comforting to know that when you're starting off, uh, you don't really know how to practice law. You just got done with law school, uh, which was very theory-based and big picture. Um, and so now you're going into an environment where there's people that you clearly know, okay, this person probably generally has this amount of knowledge because they're mid-level, senior, partner, and I can go to them for this um, piece of information or, or, or this advice. Uh, and then you never have to feel the pressure of, oh, I'm sending something out to the client or opposing counsel. Um, and I don't have to be nervous to, to the full extent um, because I know people are going to review ahead of me or that are above me um, and that it will be marked up correctly 
rather than I could imagine if you start as a sole proprietor right out of law school that there's probably a lot of anxiety involved there because you don't have that infrastructure involved. So I think it's uh, really helpful to know that there is this, uh, this level of seniority in the structure of law firms that helps your development as an attorney. Yeah, we definitely have a deep uh, and wide bench of resources, both in terms of the ability of other people to mentor you and and sort of watch over what you're doing, but also like we're showing on this conversation generally, right? People of different specialty areas that you can talk to and you don't have to try and figure out exactly how the indemnity might be enforced in, in Delaware on your own. You can call a litigator and, and talk to them about that. And I think that that's really helpful. Um, and how about from the perspective of your amount of client facing work and client interaction? You know, I, I noted that you said you're on secondment. So for now, I bet it's a hundred percent, but even when you're directly at the firm, what's, what was your level of client direct engagement like? Yeah, that's correct. Right now it's a hundred percent. It's as much client engagement as I've gotten my whole career so far. Um, but at the firm, it, I was surprised because I had always heard in law school that, oh, in a big law firm, you'll never talk to the client until your partner or senior associate. And that's not what I've found at Ropes at all. I've really found that I've had supportive groups that um, they'll definitely give you the support where they'll say, like, feel free to send me a draft email before you send to the client or opposing counsel, but you're the one facing and, and sending those emails, those documents. And so that's really helped with my development as an attorney, building my confidence and speaking to other attorneys sending coherent emails and everything. And so that's been a pleasant surprise during my time at Rope so far. Great. Definitely matches uh, my experiences. How about you, Liz? On, on the whole question, I know I followed up with Zane, but the whole question to you. Yeah, no, I think you're right, though, right? They go hand in hand because like Zane mentioned, you know, I think you get a lot of support here at Ropes uh, from our training programs, which are are some of the best in the country um, to just the amount of hands-on but supported activity that you get to do as a junior associate. You know, I think in litigation, and I'm sure it's the same for corporate, ropes tends to take a leaner approach. So maybe our matters aren't, you know, a hundred attorneys, maybe they're only a handful. And that that gives you the opportunity to really practice and try some new things, but you're never alone. Like there's never ever a time where I have felt like, oh my goodness, I have no idea what I'm doing and there's no one I can ask. There's always someone who's willing to reach out their hand and help me and share their experience with me so that I'm not walking into a situation without some support. And I think the structures that are in place, you know, like Zane mentioned, look, we have mid-levels, we have senior associates, we have counsel, we have partners. At every step, there is someone who's willing to, you know, extend the hand and help. And for me, for some of my larger matters, it's been great because, again, there's someone to review my work and, and, you know, pass it on. But then there are other matters where it's been myself and maybe one other person and a partner. And the amount of exposure I get to clients is, is quite you know, large, I would say, for a junior associate and a mid-level associate. Um, and I think the partners here at Ropes are really good at giving you that exposure early on. And and that was that's different than I think a lot of my peers at other firms in that um, I'm on a first-name basis with now probably half of my clients. You know, they know who I am when I email, and I know who they are and, and what they're about. And it's nice because I'm getting to develop the skills, not only of client interaction, but how to manage um, expectations, which is really important as you progress in your career. Um, so I, I will just echo and, and really support what Zane said, that I think Ropes is a really supportive firm. You get to do a lot, but you're never alone. And you have a lot of 
uh, backup, you know, wherever you go and whatever you do. That's great. Uh, maybe you could speak a little bit more about that to just tell us about the culture of your group specifically, uh, the maybe litigation or government enforcement, whatever, whatever it is that you view as your group is and how well integrated you feel into the group and what mentorship is like on a formal and informal basis too. Sure. And I, I mean, I think this is, again, something Ropes does really, really well. So many of the opportunities I've gotten here at Ropes to do big and great things have been as a result of different mentors offering them to me. I have had the privilege of having both formal and informal mentors. You know, I have a mentor in my current office who has put me on cases, has given me supporting roles, and really has given me critical feedback that has allowed me to progress and grow as an associate. And then I have those informal mentors, the women and men who I'm able to call and ask maybe the questions that I'm not quite sure how to broach with other partners or other associates. I get to draw on the wealth of their experience and their time, and they are more than willing to give it. And for me, that's allowed me to, I would say, integrate into Ropes' culture quite seamlessly. Because again, I come back to that place of I feel supported. I feel that I have the opportunity to either make mistakes and be okay or succeed and be recognized. And I think that for me, especially as a young litigator who sometimes has a lot of experience in certain areas, but none in others, I can take on responsibility with confidence because I know that I have both mentors and other associates and partners who are willing to support me and give me feedback. And I would say sometimes guardrails to make sure that I'm staying on a track that's that's good for my career and my development. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Zane, how about you? I found the culture at Ropes to be very collegial, especially in the PCT group. Um, everybody's very social. There's a lot of happy hours, a lot of uh, dinners, uh, lunch panels where we get to mingle. And I think that builds those bonds between each other. So it's not just you're working with people and emailing a stranger in your office that you've never met. It's the people that you're building these connections with. And I think that makes all the difference, especially when you're learning and receiving training from people uh, because you have that that core bond at the center of it. Uh, and I also think that, as Liz said, uh, mentorship at Ropes is incredible, both informally and formally. You feel safe to make mistakes, which leads to growth and, and learning the bigger picture and the context of everything. And so that's been wonderful for my development as an attorney. And I think that culture probably is in all practice groups of the firm, not just PCT. Yeah, I'll say that's definitely been my experience too. People are very cognizant of the fact that we're all human beings and human beings make mistakes. And also I've just found, at least in, in my experiences, everyone's very forward focused. There's no reason to even dissect what went wrong unless it's helpful for a growth opportunity. Like if there's something that we can figure out that we could change next time, that's fine. Let's discuss what went wrong. But otherwise, let's just talk about how we can fix it. And there's no point in pointing fingers. And one of the things I've always most appreciated about working at a place like this where people respect each other so deeply is I can't think of a single time I've been thrown under the bus, as they say. You spoke a little bit about uh, mentorship, formal and informal. Uh, I understand you're both members of the RMF for listeners. That's the Ropes Multicultural Forum. Uh, would you mind talking a bit about your experience, what it's like to be a member of the RMF and uh, how meaningful it's been to you personally, professionally, or both during your time at Ropes and Gray? Sure. I'm happy to, to jump in on that. And I, I think it's important to just acknowledge, you know, it's really awesome to be an attorney of color at Ropes and Gray. And I think Ropes is 
you know, I, I call it the best in big law, especially at, on this topic, because I think that ROPES does a lot to support our um, the RMF forum and, and really all of the offshoots that uh, we engage in, you know, to create community in this firm. And I'll just say that you know, being a part of RMF has just been, it's been a blast. You know, I've had a lot of fun times going to events, talking to partners about their experience and really sharing what um, I think is is necessary in order for associates who are younger than me to succeed at this firm. And it's created, I think, this chain, right? Like we we talk a lot about pipelines. We talk, we hear a lot about, you know, these buzzwords, but I get to see it in practice here at Ropes. Um, for example, you know, when I came back from my clerkship now, almost two years ago, I came back and something that was really important to me was creating a space for um, Black women at this firm. You know, as a Black woman, I knew that they are an underrepresented population at law firms generally. And I knew from my time as a first year and just meeting with our summer associates that there were a ton of Black female associates coming in as first years. And I thought it was really important to create a group for for the for that community specifically. And so I went to the firm and I said, hey, I want to create up this group. I want to create the Black Women Lawyers group and I want funding and I want time. And I, everyone was like, go for it. You know, whatever you need, go for it. And without any type of bureaucracy, I was able to start that group right off. I was able to get funding for events. Um talk through speaker ideas, event ideas, and at no point did I receive any pushback or be told that, you know, maybe it wasn't the time or there wasn't funds. Um, the firm was incredibly supportive, and I got to create this intersectionality of both, like, the Women's Forum, which is another one of our um, offerings to Ropes and Gray Associates members and partners, um, and the RMF, and it's been a blast. You know, we have a lot of Black female associates at this firm, and I credit you know, some of our retention to the ability and the firm's willingness to just allow us to create the space for that community and for that population. So I, I will just say, you know, this is a firm that I think puts their money where their mouth is for these communities. And, and I think it's important to just highlight that because I know that's not always the case. And so I, for me, my experience has been nothing short of amazing with the RMF and, and really all the subgroups. That's fantastic. How about you, Zane? And I'll echo Liz's comments as well. Um, I think it's been a very supportive environment in my experience. Uh, even last night, I just attended uh, the Black Associates Happy Hour uh, in Boston. We're always reaching out, trying to have events every so often. Uh, I think firm-wide, we have like a yearly Black um, attorney dinner, not just associates, but with partners. And everybody from across the country or even internationally comes in. And we really just get to bond in community, give that advice, um, pick each other's brains, get to know each other on a friendship level. And so that's been amazing to me and a big reason why I chose Ropes as well. Um, and I think to Liz's point about the firm putting their money where their mouth is, being a recipient of the Roscoe Tremere Scholarship has helped me so much. Um, super grateful to the firm for that opportunity. So the scholarship uh, was created in Roscoe Tremere's legacy. He was the first Black partner of the firm. Uh, and it's an honor to be a part of that legacy. And so I get a lot of formal and informal mentorship from that uh, group of former scholars and uh, partners and associates of the firm that are associated with the scholarship. Uh, you get that financial support as well, which is very important for uh, recruiting diverse law students into the firm and becoming attorneys. And so all the opportunities that are presented to you as a scholarship recipient are 
very important. And I think it just goes to the firm's commitment and not just saying, oh, diversity is important. Let's have these diversity events. They're actually creating programs that brings money to people from these communities that really need it, um, supporting that development in their career as an attorney. We talked a little bit earlier about mentorship, right? And for me, the mentorship aspect and the RMF and, and really just Ropes' commitment to diversity general go hand in hand. You know, I have a formal mentor through the RMF. Um, his name is Chong Park. He is a partner in D.C. He does a lot of government enforcement work and civil litigation. And I've had the opportunity to work on multiple matters with him. And he gives me direct feedback, you know, and we, and we talk a lot about what it means to be at a large firm, to have representation really at all levels. And I'm so grateful for that relationship because he understands a lot of my experience that maybe not all other associates or partners can understand. And I can go to him and say, you know, I've got this feedback or I had this question or I'm not sure how to phrase this to a client. And he gets it, you know, without question, he gets it because sometimes it's just a different perspective that I'm looking for. And I'll also just, you know, mention two other partners who who operate for me in similar capacities, though they're more of my informal mentors. One is Ama Adams and the other is Alex Renee, both DC partners. And I'll say all these all these partners are partners of color and, and they have a unique perspective, but um, all members of the RMF and really active in that group, you know, I feel comfortable going to any of them about questions that I have, you know, whether it's firm policy and I'm just wondering about how to approach something to, hey, I, I just sent this email and I had a typo in it and I sent it to a client, what do I do? You know, do I, do I email right away and correct it? You know, those are real questions that I've had going to them and, and for them to be able to just say like, it's okay, you're fine, you got this. Um, that type of, uh, I would say assurance is, is something that, I, I needed, right? I needed, I needed that extra help, and, and they were there because they know, they they understand my ex- my experience and my perspective. So, I'll just flag that you know, for me, those those relationships are real, and those people are are very important and crucial, and have been very crucial to my career development. Yeah, I think that's a great point overall about diverse backgrounds and diverse experiences, and may, maybe to that point. You know, I, I heard through the grapevine, Liz, that you're a certified sommelier. Uh, is that right? And, you know, how, how has that uh, come to your aid in, in various uh, work-related environments? Yeah, so I, I can confirm that I am a certified SOM. Being a sommelier has actually really worked out in my favor as an attorney. It's funny because that experience prior to law school was something that has carried me through and has been a really great conversation starter with a lot of different people, from partners to associates to clients, frankly. And I will say that I've even had the pleasure of hosting wine events for our summer associates, for clients, for partners. And it's been a great way to connect with different people that I maybe never would have spoken to previously. People I didn't work with, corporate folks, other litigation partners specializing in areas I wasn't familiar with, and so on and so forth. But I think the other thing about being a psalm that's been really beneficial for me as a lawyer is that I've heard it said that, you know, the law is a people business. And I think wine is a people business. So being able to walk into a room and feel confident about what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it as a direct result and product of my time spent selling wine. Because the reality is, is there are different people with different tastes that want different things in a wine bottle. And it's the same with the client. 
no client is the same. No problem is the same, even if it is the same client. So and it's being able to be adaptable and respond to what the client is saying, not what I wish they would say, right? Um, it is so much about listening and responding in an effective way and then learning how to communicate with them in a language that they understand. That's wine and that's the law. So I think there's a lot of overlap between the two. And frankly, now that I'm an attorney, I can afford the wine that I was selling to customers, <laughs> which is really the best benefit of being an attorney. <laughs> That's great. No, I think it's really interesting also how different backgrounds really that you would expect to be completely divorced from legal skills really do give you a development of soft skills that are relevant in ways that you wouldn't expect. And it actually harkens back directly to the point we were discussing earlier about diversity and how, you know, you can't really in the abstract assess how different, a different diversity of backgrounds can affect the way people think about things. And so recently I was interviewing someone who spent a bunch of time as a, a wedding coordinator. And I was thinking, going into it, you know, I'm going to ask them a really tough question and say, what does this have to do with your job here? And their answer was just, at the end of it, I was thinking we should send all associates to be wedding coordinators. I mean, it's all about listening to your client needs and coordinating among a whole bunch of different things that are pulling you in different directions and, you know, working with specialists. I mean, that's what I do at my job all day is talk to tax and ERISA and try and get them to talk to each other. And, you know, and that's the same thing that they were doing as a wedding coordinator. And those skills really were would be portable from one to the other. So it's really uh, amazing. And it sounds like wine sommelier even more so. So much of what we do is in the details, right? And I think you can see when you start law school that so much of our time is spent focusing on the little stuff and making sure that we're getting everything. We're picking up all the pieces. I always tell any associate they can trust that whatever experience you're bringing in to this job will be valuable as long as you find a way to translate the skills. And I think there's so many skills that translate to this job. Can you tell us about the, what was the summer program you worked on? I'm just curious about that. <laughs> it's funny. I was asked by our amazing recruiting staff to lead a wine tasting for our summer associates. And it was great. They asked great questions, but I also tied it into the fact that you don't have to drink wine. You don't have to drink any alcohol to engage with others about some of these, I would say, small talk, like soft skill issues. Um, it's just a matter of being passionate about what you love because we had people who liked beer. We had people who didn't drink. And so we were talking about, again, how these skills translate into your job and how small networking re receptions or talking with clients over a drink or over food all matters to what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and you're just building up skills. So it was a great event. <laughs> That's great. That sounds awesome. Lucky, lucky summer associates. And I, what, what you said about not being a big wine drinker resonated in that I'm not a big wine drinker and I also keep kosher. So I have a hard time connecting with people about just like random restaurants in Boston that people want to chat about because I can't eat at any of them. But I drink whiskey and I love baseball and I find other things to talk to people about. Um, and, you know, all of us are well-rounded people with lots of interests and so are our clients and so are, you know, the more senior attorneys. And so you can always find, as long as you're, as you said, Liz, passionate about things and willing to share your passions, I think you can always find ways to to connect. Um, Zane, you're, you're up against a, a big challenge here since... You know, you're 
your opposite a uh, uh, wine sommelier. But what can you tell us about your hobbies and and what you do in your free time? I know it's a big challenge. Uh, <laughs> I, I love what you said, Liz, about the the comparison between wine and practicing law. It's very poetic, so very interesting as well. Um, so for me, uh, my hobbies are I love working out. So I. I got away from it for the past couple of months. I need to get back in the gym, but um, I used to be working with a personal trainer and getting very much into weightlifting. Uh, and I really liked that hobby because it was very much where you're intentionally putting yourself under this extreme intense pressure. And it's like, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody want to bench press all this weight and, and be struggling? But then when you get on the other side of it, you, you really feel proud about yourself, um, self-actualized, like, wow, I can do a lot when I'm under pressure and uh, I feel great after physically. So that's one of my hobbies because I just love the the feeling that you get after a good workout um, and the progress that you can see yourself make over time. Love hiking. I have um, a little year-old puppy, um, so we're, we're always hiking. My partner and I are always hiking around the, the nice spots in Boston with him. And then also really into uh, strengthening my Spanish skills. I uh, didn't grow up speaking Spanish, although I'm half Dominican. And so once I started getting paid as a summer associate, uh, I made that my goal to just put that money towards learning Spanish with a with a Spanish teacher um, from Latin America. Uh, so we Skype every other week and I still have kept that up even through practicing law. Um, even though my schedule is busy, I found a teacher that's very flexible. And so that's been great to use a different area of my of my brain, be able to connect with people in Latin America, Spanish speakers all over the world. And it's actually been great for my pro bono practice because now I'm at this level after three or four years doing this, uh, I'm able to help migrants, um, undocumented people with their immigration process and, and connect with people in that way where maybe it wouldn't be as organic if you're using a translator. So uh, those are those are my interests reading as well. I think all lawyers love, that they have that nerdy side of them that loves to read. So uh, that's natural for me, uh, but that's about it. Wow, who knew a uh, discussion of hobbies outside of work would be so replete with deep metaphors about how it applies, you know, directly to the practice of law. Um, and I certainly agree with you about the, you know, the amazing strengths that can be sort of forged in the crucible. Um, and I found that also here at work, although I typically enjoy my day to day at work, but I've had certainly challenging situations. And some of my greatest learned lessons are from that. And certainly my, my strongest friendships here at the firm are all formed out of um, times of, of particular adversity. So that definitely uh, resonates with me. And you mentioned the pro bono work that you're doing. Is that with the Dorchester House Initiative or or through some other program at the firm? Yeah, the Dorchester House Initiative, um, as well as Rosie's Place. Um, I've done a bit of work in, in both those areas. That's great. Um, yeah, the firm does a lot of pro bono work and it's a major focus of ours. Um, and we're we're hoping to have an, a future episode focus on some of the pro bono work at the firm. So keep your ears out for that. Uh, maybe in conclusion, you could tell us uh, a bit about why you personally chose Ropes and Gray. What attracted you to pick this firm? I'm sure you each had uh, many options to choose from. So what was it about Ropes that spoke to you? For me, it was that I had been meeting a lot of people. I went to BC Law, so I met a lot of people that went to BC at Ropes. And the culture at Ropes reminded me a lot of the BC Law culture, where it's very collegial. You're always having events. You're getting to know each other. And so it's not always just about the work, although we do prioritize that. It's it's also about the social aspect that we're all humans and we want to be treated with respect and, and actually get to know each other and have a good time as well. So I found that to be really telling of just 
following my gut intuition there. Like, I, I like these people. I want to keep figuring it out and, and seeing where I fit in all this. Yeah. And I'll jump in and, and just say that it, I remember so distinctly coming to Ropes to interview. And I had had the fortune of interviewing at other firms and every firm has a vibe. You know, you, you all know what I'm talking about. And when I came to Ropes, the vibe was really smart, very kind and very studious. And for me, that was the perfect combination. You know, as much as I am extroverted, I really liked that everyone here was just incredibly warm and friendly and clearly very intelligent. You know, everyone that I spoke to was just very well-spoken. They were very thoughtful um, and they were kind. Thank you, Liz and Zane, both for joining us today and sharing your insights uh, on the government enforcement specialty and on the private capital transactions group, and especially just your experiences generally at the firm and your involvement with the Ropes Multicultural Forum. Uh, it's really been a great pleasure talking and learning from you, and I'm sure our listeners learned a lot too. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you found this to be a helpful and insightful episode. If there's a specific topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please just reach out to me directly. I'd love to hear from you. If you're a law student or recent graduate who'd like to learn more, please visit our website at www.ropesgrayrecruiting.com or check us out on Instagram at at ropesgray. You can subscribe to this series wherever you typically listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please look out for future episodes and share with your friends. Thanks again for listening and see you on the next episode.